Well, it is so good to be here worshiping in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Amen. And we got a great treat to hear precious little ones declaring glorious truths about the gospel. I mean, it was beautiful to see five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds singing about Jesus, right? Like I, I shared with the VBS the other night that I did not grow up going to VBS. So I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And I didn't get to hear any of those truths about who Jesus is. And it's the greatest news in all the world. And it's the most urgent news our world needs to hear. Amen? So let's come before the Lord. And while we're doing so, I just want us to consider the message. I've been transported here into a castle because we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare, right? This is my second week preaching from a castle, and let's ask the Lord to really open our hearts to hear maybe what his word has to say to us today. And if you would, um, actually, before uh, I start praying, turn to Ephesians 6, if you would, if you have your Bibles, that way we're already set to go. And as you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us. Father God, I thank you for your faithfulness and your great grace towards us. Lord, you are good, you are faithful, you are true. And I thank you, Lord, that you've given us the greatest news in all the world in sending Jesus to come into the world to seek and save that which is lost. Lord, there's no hope without Jesus. But we know, Lord, that your plans and your purposes are just what we just sung about. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us from your hand. If we're in Christ, we're in the most solid place we can stand. And Father, I pray that your spirit would come upon us now. That as we consider your word, that you would open our hearts to receive the truths that you have to say to us in Ephesians 6. Because we need the help of God today. We need a visitation of your spirit. So I pray that your spirit would do what only the Spirit of God can do and illuminate our minds with the truth of the Word, which is the sword of the Spirit. And so we ask you come visit us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was the first major battle of the Civil War. And it started out sort of like any battle you could imagine. It, starts, it kind of emerged onto the scene in the Battle of Bull Run. And all of a sudden, people got word that there's a battle going on in this area around Virginia. And the townsfolk who were nearby thought, we might want to come check this out. So they climbed the hill and they sat up there and they brought their leisurely attire and they watched the Battle of Bull Run. North and South Civil War for the first time this kind of battle going on, and they thought they would watch a spectacle. They thought they would sit by and they would be sipping tea and it would be a, a nice time of entertainment. And as the battle unfolded, it got worse and worse. And before long, as they're amusing themselves, the battle begins to get closer. The fog from the musket fire begins to get thicker the cannon fire begins to land closer 
And all of a sudden, what was a nice Sunday picnic, watching the spectacle of battle became very deadly, very quick. And the people who were there, dressed in this sort of battle, or dressed in this sort of leisurely attire, realized that war, real war, was upon them. And they couldn't get just close to the battle and observe it from a distance as a spectator, but pretty soon they were engulfed in the war. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 is going to help us kind of navigate something very similar because the Bible says that we are in a spiritual conflict. We're in a spiritual war. And that is what our VBS theme was all about. There's a battle going on between two kingdoms. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. The kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of the devil. And so we are immersed in a war. And there's two options that we can take in the midst of that kind of battle. We can be like those spectators at the Battle of Bull Run. Those, those civilians who came to, to, to look and observe the battle and all of a sudden were overrun. Or, as the Christian is called to in Ephesians 6, we can get into the fight. We can stand in the armor of God in the midst of this cosmic conflict and engage in the warfare that God has called us to in the scriptures. And this isn't, you know, some remote thing that's only discussed in Ephesians 6. This is the storyline of scripture from the Garden of Eden. Satan launched his attacks on humanity, seeking to turn men against God, right? Tempting Adam and Eve in the garden to deny God's word, to doubt his word, to doubt his goodness. You really, you really think God doesn't want you to eat from that one tree in the garden? If you eat of that tree, that's good for you. In fact, if you eat from it, You'll grow wise and you'll be like God, discerning good and evil. God's withholding from you. And they believed the serpent and darkness was plunged into our world. And a curse broke out over everything. And the lies of the evil one who began his attack that day have been going on ever since. And we see it play out writ large all around the world. Wars, violence, drug addiction, lying, the breakup of families. We see the, the, the carnage of the battle has come to our front doorstep. And that is what Paul is reminding us of here in Ephesians 6. He's reminding us to fight the good fight of faith. And that's what he told Timothy as a young pastor, you want to know something about ministry? You want to know what's going on? You need to fight the good fight of faith. You need to wage the good warfare. And so as we step into Ephesians 6, I want us to think about what does God have to say to us today from this passage? It's one of the most famous passages on spiritual warfare in all of Scripture. But perhaps the Lord wants to speak to you out of it afresh today to give you a vision so you're not watching leisurely on the sidelines, but you're immersed in the battle, armed and ready 
for the fight. Let's look at it in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. The Apostle Paul says, filled with the Holy Spirit, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So there it is, writ large in the pages of scripture, right? Like God wants you to get a whiff of the battle we're immersed in. He wants you to get a whiff of the cosmic struggle that's going on that is not far removed, that is not way out there, but it's right here, right in our midst. It's an unseen battle, it's an invisible war, and yet there is a very real struggle and we have a very real enemy and so Paul even ends that section saying, pray for me, pray for me that, that words would be given to me that I might boldly make known the mystery of the gospel. Because the greatest weapon of the Christian, in fact, all the armor of God that's listed here in Ephesians 6 is just a representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The belt of truth is the truth of God's word that the soldier will lay hold of to equip himself with the full armor, the truth of God's word. That is where we find the gospel, right? The breastplate of righteousness. You put that on and the righteousness of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life, who died upon a cross to redeem sinners, that righteousness as the Christian trusts in Jesus has been applied to him. So that you don't stand in your own righteousness, but the righteousness of another. You're guarded when the, the volleys of arrows and accusations and condemnation come. If you stand in the armor of God, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ, well, you can stand in the evil day. So Paul was asking, will you pray for me that I might have boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel? And maybe we're in here today and we're thinking through this. What is this shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace? 
What is this thing that I'm to take up the shield of faith? What is this thing that I'm to to lay hold of, this helmet of salvation? What is this thing that's called the sword of the Spirit, but the Word of God? Well, this is the Christian's armor. But today, we need to get before us the reality of the first few verses of Ephesians 6. Chapter or six verses 10 to 12, because the first thing we need to see right from the start is that there's a battle between two kingdoms, the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of the devil. Now, it's not fashionable of late to speak of a real personal devil, but the Bible discloses it to us. The Bible puts a face on the evil in the world and the Hitler's and the Mao Zedong's and, and the Putin's of the world, the dictators of this world. How do men get as evil as they do? How does tra- trafficking, human trafficking and, and addiction come about? Well, the Bible says that there's a real spiritual enemy. There's a real army of darkness. There's a real tempter and deceiver who has fooled the whole world, right? And that's what we see right here in Ephesians 6. We see a battle of two kingdoms. Now, Rick read for us the book of Revelation, right? Chapter 12. What did it say there? But that the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So we see right there that the devil is called the deceiver. And devil actually means accuser. So he deceives and he accuses. He lobs volleys of accusation against the people of God. You're not a Christian or you wouldn't have done that. You're not a Christian or you would not have said that. And he gets the Christian doubting who he is or who she is in Christ. Maybe I'm not really a Christian because I had that fight with my wife over the dinner table. Maybe I'm not a Christian because I've struggled so deeply as a mom or a dad. I'm, I'm barely hanging on. I'm screaming at the kids all the time. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Because there's just that besetting sin that keeps tripping me up again and again and again. And Paul is saying, listen, there's a real deceiver. There's a real devil. And the Christian ought to beware. It was said by the famous apologist, Walter Martin, who was an apologist who who in the 20th century was one of the, the... founders of countercults apologetics. So he would go and, and talk to Mormons and he would talk to Jehovah's Witnesses and he would deal in the occult um, and, and bring the gospel into those spheres of influence. And he said, hey, I know about the devil. I know about the war that we're engaged in. And he said, there's two kinds of people when it comes to spiritual conflict. There's the person who knows he's in a battle and acts accordingly, 
And then there's a person who's in the middle of the war and acts like nothing's going on. And he says, you know what you call those people? Casualties of war. So what, what's being said here and what's being drawn out from this passage is that Paul is reminding us that we stand in a great spiritual conflict. Look at it in Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the schemes of the devil. Now, last week we talked about the schemes of the devil. And I'm not going to belabor that this week, but I just want to tell you that the devil is plotting against you person-specific temptations that are designed to trip you up. He has studied human nature for thousands of years, and he knows how to trip up human beings. And he did it in the garden, and he's been doing it ever since. And if you're a Christian, you have a bullseye on your back. And if you're not a Christian, the Bible says you're already under the control of the evil one, right? So we're told here that we're to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the devil's schemes. Well, how do we know, right? How do we know from this passage that there are two kingdoms? How, how, is, how do I know that that's in Paul's mind? Well, Paul says so earlier in the letter, if you'll turn just one chapter over, Ephesians 5, we know Paul's thinking in terms of kingdoms because he says so clearly in Ephesians 5, 5, for you may be sure of this, he's talking to Christians, he's talking to the church, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Do you see that? There's the kingdom of Christ, then there's the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were in darkness. Every Christian in the room was at one time in darkness, but what does Paul say? He says, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and true and right. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So what is the Christian being asked to do? He's being asked, she's being asked to live as a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. So if you're in here and you're in Christ, Paul's saying to you right now through the Holy Spirit, live that way. Live in the kingdom. Live as a soldier in the army of the Lord. You've already signed up if you're a Christian. And the devil has a bullseye on your back. And notice that we were once all in darkness. So we were once a part of the kingdom of Satan. Which gives me great hope. And it's the reason I preach the gospel every week. Because by the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel preached, men and women, boys and girls and teenagers can come up from under the dominion of the devil and sin 
and be transplanted into the kingdom of Christ. Liberated, set free. And some of us, we labor in so much bondage. We've been trying to change for so long and we're not getting anywhere. In fact, we're getting worse, not getting better. And it's because we need to understand and we need to come to terms with the reality that there's a battle of two kingdoms. Notice he names some things here. The sexual immoral person, the person habitually looking at pornography or cheating on his wife or sleeping with your boyfriend, that person will not inherit the kingdom of Christ, right? That's clear. But you were once in darkness, he said. And you've been delivered if you're a Christian. So we need to remember and be sobered by the reality of this battle that we're in. Second thing we see in our text in Ephesians 6 is that there's a wrestling going on. The Christian wrestles with darkness. You don't just stand aloof from the darkness and watch it from a distance, but you wrestle Notice it in verse 12. What does it say? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Did you notice that? He said, for we do not wrestle now, that term in Greek is, is conjuring the idea of an Olympic wrestler. In the Olympic Games uh, in, in the Greco-Roman world, the, the wrestler was engaged in gladiatorial combat. The, the wrestler was engaged in this close, hand-to-hand, in-your-face combat. And you think of, of, of wrestling in high school or something like that. Maybe some of you have been wrestlers, right? That's a... That's a very close, very exhausting, laborious struggle that's going on. And that is what Paul is picturing here. We are wrestling when we fight the spiritual battles. It might be exhausting to fight the spiritual battle. That's why Paul says you need to be strong in the Lord in the power of his might, right? I remember when I was in the Marine Corps, I started training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I had a friend, he was a black belt, and so he, he taught me kind of the ropes, and I remember just being on the mat with him, and just, I mean, he would just lay me out, you know, I'd be in a pretzel, I'd be getting choked out left and right, and all of a sudden, like, I'm realizing, like, I am so tired, I mean, I was in the Marines, so I was in shape. But I was exhausted because of this tug-of-war, this hand-to-hand thing, this, this exertion using muscles you never even thought of. And there was a sense of the nitty-gritty reality that you had somebody in your face. You had an opponent to deal with. And Paul is emphasizing, he's not saying, you know, that, that we're going to get in the octagon with Satan, okay? But, but what he is saying is that the battle's very near. And some of us are so removed from that, we don't even think about it. 
You get up in the morning, you don't even think the battle is in your face, but it is. And that's part of the devil's device is to lull us to sleep when it comes to the warfare that we're in. Notice that he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So often we put a human face, right? Our enemies are human. Our, our enemies are the persons we're, we're arguing with. That person you're having difficulty with at work. That's the enemy. No, Paul does not say that. For the Christian, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against what? Against the principalities, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So you, you, you got to think about that text a little bit. What's, what's happening there is Paul is listing military imagery. He's showing you that there's there's some kind of authority structure going on in the demonic realm. There's, there's an army there. There's organization. There's tactical warfare going on. And that's why the devil is so successful in wreaking havoc in your life. And maybe you're here today and you're just realizing like, I have been struggling for so long and I've been beat down so long. And I've just wanted things to change, but I feel trapped. It's because you're immersed in a spiritual battle and you need something greater than yourself to deal with the conflict that you are in. You can't do it on your own. And so Paul is going to say, get armed with the armor of God. We are told clearly six times that we are struggling against something. Do you notice that word show up in verse 12 four times? We wrestle against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil. There's a real, visceral battle happening. And perhaps the Spirit of God is waking you up to it this very moment. You're a Christian wrestler if you're a believer in the room and you're wrestling with principalities and powers far beyond your ability to deal with and yet that's why paul said pray for me that i might boldly make known the mystery of the gospel paul wasn't trying to do this thing in his own strength he's in a jail writing this he's in a jail cell writing this letter because he had a very real enemy and human authorities threw him into prison He's riding from jail for his faith in Jesus Christ, chained to a guard. And he doesn't see the guard or the people who put them there as the ultimate enemy. But he says, no, there's a spiritual battle going on. And he evangelizes and shares the gospel with his imprisoners, with the guards that are over him. That's a different kind of mentality in the spiritual conflict when you can see beyond the struggle with human human difficulties when you can see beyond the struggle at the dinner table when you can see beyond the struggle to get the kids to bed when you can see beyond the struggle of the interpersonal conflict at work to a greater reality a spiritual reality at work what is god seeking to teach us here 
But at the outset, there's a battle going on between good and evil, between Christ and the devil, angels and demons, and ultimately the people of God are laboring for the souls of men and women who are bound up by the enemy. 1 John 5.19 reminds us that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Now that's the Bible. That's not my opinion. The Bible says that the devil holds sway over the mass of humanity who do not know Jesus. And so what the gospel is all about, what the armor of God is all about, is to weaponize the Christian with the armor and with the word and the sword to be able to wield effective combat in this world. And when you see it up close and when you see it personal, it's a powerful, eye-opening thing. I can remember when we lived in Oldham County, a couple years back, um, we would have Mormons come by every so often and the Mormon missionaries would come and share a, a false gospel. They would not share the gospel of the scriptures, but they would share a gospel of a Jesus who was not fully God, a Jesus who was actually the brother of Satan, and a Jesus who could not save. And ultimately, they were sharing this news as it was good news. And so they would come up to our doorstep, and I would always open the door, and I would engage um, and before long, we developed a relationship with the Mormon missionaries. And, and over the course of months and months, we must have had 20, maybe 30 Mormon missionaries, sometimes high up teachers who were in uh, teaching positions in the Mormon church. And so it was a wonderful opportunity to engage these Mormon missionaries with the true gospel. And they were always willing to talk about it. But one time... We had three individuals come in, and one of them, all I can say is, one of them had a very eerie presence about him. When you looked at him, he looked at you with a look like it was coming from another world. When, when, when he talked to you, when he spoke to you, there was just a, a darkness about him. There was a sense in which there was something demonic going on, and Clarissa and I, without talking to each other, looked at each other, and we immediately sensed what was going on. You felt the presence of evil in the room, and we said, we're dealing with the demonic. And ultimately, you could tell that there was something very sinister going on. Now, most Mormon missionaries, that's not my experience, and they're very sweet, very nice, but niceness is not godliness. And being nice for the cause of a false gospel will lead men to hell, right? So ultimately, we realize what we're dealing with is a supernatural enemy who can disguise himself as an angel of light, which the Bible says about the devil. So is it any wonder there's a counterfeit gospel, there's counterfeit messages, there's all sorts of other ways that are thrown out that this is the way. And so... As we would meet with these missionaries, it was like, we, I felt like I was doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu after every time we'd meet, and especially with this individual that seemed to be so filled with something dark inside of him. 
But my experience is not always that tangible, right? My experience dealing in the cults and dealing with all sorts of things as a pastor, you get to see a lot. But the reality is sometimes you get to see the devil get punched in the nose by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes you get to see the power of the gospel manifest. Paul said that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. So about 15 years back, we were sharing the gospel with some Mormon missionaries who came to a friend of mine, uh, his apartment complex. And there were four gentlemen, two Samoan guys, and then two uh, uh, white guys that looked like the Mormon part, right? They looked like Mormons. But these Samoans, I was like, I have not seen too many Samoans in the Mormon church. So I, I got to striking up a conversation, and I asked them, hey, I'd love to hear from you, and if you would be okay with it, I'd love to share the gospel from the New Testament. And so in that conversation, I just remember like letting them share, and then I just began to talk about Jesus Christ. And I, I began to talk about the, the reality that God sent Jesus, who's the eternal son of God, into the world. That Jesus was born of a virgin. That he was born fully God, fully man. That he lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. Like every one of us is broken and fallen and struggles with sin. Jesus was sinless. So this Jesus is not just a mere creation. This Jesus is not the brother of Satan. This Jesus is the prince of life and the son of God come into the world to destroy the works of the devil and he can save anybody who calls on him. He's the one who went to the cross and said he would be forsaken so we might be forgiven. He's the one who went to the cross who said it is finished and he died upon the cross. His blood was spilled. His the wrath of God was poured out on him for our sins. He was buried in a tomb for three days. And on the third day, he rose up. Conquering death as a victorious king. And this Jesus will save you. And I said that to these Samoan Mormon missionaries. And I asked them, I said, this is the real Jesus. This is the real Jesus, the one the scriptures reveal. And he's not the Jesus of Mormonism. And he will save all who come to him. And I asked him, do you want to come to know Jesus in a personal way today? Do you want to be saved? And both of them <laughs> said, yes, I do. And the other... Mormon missionaries were all kind of worried, like, oh, well, uh, you know, and they didn't know what to do. And these brothers prayed, they got saved, and all I know is, a week later, when we contacted the Mormons, they said, oh, those two brothers, they got shipped out, they had to go somewhere else on mission. And ultimately, the power of Christ is far greater than the power of darkness and the power of the devil. And we need to be hip to the devil's devices. We need to know the wrestling match we're in. But greater is he who's in us than he who is in the world. And that's what Paul's getting at when he reminds us that we have a very real enemy. We're in close combat. And we need to remember 
those realities. Now, I want to close as we're thinking about this reality with a thought about the Christian's readiness. Because as Christians, we need to be ready for the conflict. Oftentimes, we can be asleep. Oftentimes, we can be like those who were spectating up on the Battle of Bull Run, and we're looking from afar. We're spectating. We're, we're seeing how the ministry unfolds, but when the heat of battle comes upon us, we're unprepared and unawares. And look at it there in verse 13 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. In light of the description of the wrestling that we just talked about and the enemy and his powers and his darkness, Paul says, therefore, right? That's, that's, that's divine spiritual warfare logic. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. You have to take up the full armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. The Christians to be standing at the ready, prepared for battle, woke up to the reality that the actual war is happening. Peter says as much when he reminds us in 1 Peter 5.8, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Be sober. The devil's prowling around like a, a roaring lion. He wants us to know that we've we got to stand against this ancient foe. We've got to stand against the lion. Now, if a lion was running around Smithfield out on the loose... Would you have a different disposition as you walked out our church doors? Would you have a different sense of alertness? A different sense uh, of danger? A different sense of strategy of how you might want to get home? If a lion was on the loose. And the Bible calls Satan a lion. And he's just looking for somebody who's straying from the pack. One of the reasons it's important to come to church and be a part of a local church, no matter where it is, is because lions love to look for the ones on their own. They want to look for the stragglers. They want to look for the ones who are separated from the pack. And that's who they pounce on. And that is the spirit of Satan. He's always looking to go after Christians. When you think about National Geographic, right? The last time I looked at a National Geographic video and I considered the, the lions a little bit, what do you see? But you see a lion tearing its prey apart and picking flesh out of its teeth, right? That's a, that's a visceral image, but it's the image the Bible lays on us. So what are we to do? What does Peter say we need to do? What does Peter remind us of? But... He says in 1 Peter 5, 9, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 
And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, and strengthen you. Beloved, listen. God means to encourage you to take a bold stand in this spiritual conflict, trusting the Lord, stepping out and doing ministry, stepping out and bringing the gospel. That's why Paul is like praying. He's telling the church, hey, pray for me too. This is the apostle Paul. And he's like, pray for me too. Why? Because we need the power of God to manifest. We need the power of God to resist the devil firm in the faith so that we might be able to take up the whole armor of God that we might stand in the evil day. Now, I don't need to give you examples of how dark our day is because you can just look around and sort of see the deterioration of morality, the confusion about gender, the confusion about sexuality, the confusion around what it means to flourish as a human being in the world. We're so twisted and we're so far out that we can't even have women's competition and men's competition. We can't even have female prisons and male prisons. And if you think about it, how dark and how wicked is it that somebody can self-identify as a woman and get into a female prison and wreak all sorts of evil in the name of personal liberty and autonomy and I'm just being true to myself. Well, you do you is not in the Bible, the last I checked. But put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil is in the Bible. So, beloved, we need to look carefully how we're walking because we're living in an evil day. Turn back one more time to Ephesians 5 and look at verse 15. That's what Paul says. This idea of the evil day we live, he says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, making the best use of the time walk in wisdom making the best use of the time why because the days are evil don't be foolish but understand what the will of the lord is don't get drunk with wine but for that's debauchery but be filled with the holy spirit so you want to know the recipe for the christian to live victoriously in this world be filled with the holy spirit be on your knees be donning the armor of god which we're going to talk about next week about what the pieces of the armor are all about. Because when you get equipped like this, when you get equipped, you're able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You're able to stand and you're able to wrestle and you're able to go a couple rounds of Brazilian jiu-jitsu because you're in Christ and the Spirit of Christ is on you. And you're ready for the day when the attack comes into your life. Now, we're forced by this text to come to a point of decision about what kingdom we are going to belong to. That's what we've been sharing with the kids all week. You're born into the kingdom of darkness because we're born sinners. Nobody had to teach you how to be a sinner. 
You just learned it all by yourself. You lied, you stole, you cheated, you disobeyed parents all by yourself. Nobody encouraged. No parent was like, okay, let's think about how we can do a little disobeying God 101 or disobeying your parents 101. Kids do it naturally because the Bible's true. And we're broken and there's something corrupting us from youth. But we're forced to a place where we're called to either believe the gospel and join the winning team, live in victory in Jesus, or continue to labor in darkness. Those are the two choices before us. Listen to Colossians 2, and I'm going to bring us to a close here. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, that is in Christ. So what are we being told here? The same language about the demonic realm. You want to know how to finally deal with the demonic realm. You want to know how to finally be forgiven of your sins. The Bible says it's in Christ that Jesus dealt with both. He deals with our sins by nailing it to a tree and makes us alive, spiritually alive unto God. And then the Bible says... He disarms the rulers and authorities, that's the demonic realm, and puts them to open shame, triumphing over them. So before we can even deal with the enemy at all, before we can even stand against the forces of darkness, we've got to be transplanted into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So perhaps you're in here today and you do feel discouraged. You do feel trapped in sin. You do feel like you've made a lot of mistakes. You do feel like there's something governing you and leading you away from God. You have backslidden perhaps as a Christian, and you no longer are in the fight. Perhaps you don't know Jesus at all in here, and you're realizing that you're under the judgment of God. You're under the condemnation of sin. You need that liberty. You need that freedom. You need that victory. And Jesus stands at the ready saying, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Now I shared the other night that I was once in darkness, hostile to Christianity, living in open rebellion against God, addicted to drugs, pursuing the party scene, living in all kinds of open rebellion. And I was miserable. And perhaps maybe you're there today. And Jesus stands at the door and knocks and says, if you open the door, I'll come in. If you open your life to me, I'll come in.
Somebody shared this message to me one day when I was 21, 22 years old in the military. And I was confronted by the kingdom of light. And God opened my eyes. And I was saved because I trusted in the only one who can deliver us from darkness. So let's pray. And I'm going to ask us to think today as I'm praying where we're at. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we recognize we're in a great spiritual conflict because the Bible tells us that that's the reality. And then we look out into the world and we can see it writ large. And we're reminded that the Spirit of God is moving upon the Word of God. And when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, life comes in and changes hearts. And Father, I pray for those in here who may have been walking with the Lord at one time but are backsliding. And they are awakened to the battle today. And they want to repent. They want to put their trust in Christ. Maybe they've just not been serious about their Christianity and they're feeling awakened today because the Spirit is moving on their hearts. Perhaps there's some in here today, Lord, who need to trust Jesus for the first time. And I pray, Father, that you would work in their hearts and that you'd be speaking to them right now that they can get help, that they can be forgiven, they can get hope. And perhaps there are believers in here today who just have been freshly awakened to just go all in for Jesus. And I pray that you would move on them in a special way. And if you're in here today and you want to just acknowledge that, that you're in one of those camps, I would just encourage you to lift your hand in the air. I'd love to pray for you right now. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? You feel the stranglehold of the enemy on you, and you want to be set free. You feel like, God bless you, you feel like there's something going on here that I need help with. Father, I, I, I pray for these who've really just said, I need Jesus to work in my life. I need the help of the gospel. I need the hope of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for these who, who, who've just said, I, I'm going to lift my hand because I need that help. And I want to encourage you if, you, if you have have made that declaration right now, that you would pray with me these words. Pray, dear God, I believe that I'm a sinner. But I believe Jesus is a great Savior. Dear God, I believe that Jesus went to a cross. That he died for my sins. That he rose from the dead on the third day. Please forgive me of my sins. Wash me and make me new. Send your Holy Spirit into my life. Renew me. Reinvigorate me. And help me to be armed for the battle. In Jesus' name, I commit my life to you.